Welcome to the Enneagram 2.0 podcast. I'm Beatrice Chestnut. And I'm Urano Pai. And today we're talking about leadership in light of the Enneagram. Yeah, very important theme. And while mostly in the business setting and corporations, not only there, because when we say leadership, you can also be a leader without having a formal position for that. And usually people choose you as a leader. It's not something that you choose. Yes. And we really, really need good leadership in the world today with everything that's going on. It's oh, yeah. more important than ever. And I noticed there's a movement in business in the last few years uh, around this idea that everybody's a leader. And that if everyone is is encouraged to think of themselves either as a leader or as a potential leader, it's it's like people take more responsibility for their self-development and owning their power and considering how they might be a leader uh, as a, almost as a way of encouraging more self-confidence and more uh, more thinking about oneself in terms of how they can take the lead in things. Yeah, definitely be. And I think that in Enneagram terms, this also means that all nine types can equally make up for very good leaders in different styles and with different qualities, but still very, very good leaders. And I, I don't believe that there is one type that is better designed to be a leader than another. Do you? Well, I get that question a lot when I work with leaders and teams. People on the team often say, like, what type is the best leader? Uh, and and I, I totally agree that there is no one or two types that are, like, good leaders and the other types aren't good leaders. Uh, I think every type can be a good leader. And this is, I think, what we're going to be talking about today is how every type can be a good leader because... In speaking about leadership in the Enneagram with people, it won't be a surprise for people to hear that we think it's all about personal growth, that if someone is on a conscious self-development path, that's a big part of what will make them good leader. And the reason I called my second Enneagram book, The Nine Types of Leadership, was explicitly to send the message that there are nine types of leadership, not just one or two or three. Yeah, that's that's uh, an assumption that I really wished everybody had. Um, and um, it's very important to know also that there are nine paths of leadership development. You know, most of the um, traditional work, traditional meaning the most common work on the Enneagram field about leadership, talks about qualities and challenges of the nine types of leaders, meaning that um, there are things in, in the personalities themselves that are good and other things that are not as good. And, you know, more recently, I, I am not more recently, for a long time already, I've been challenging this concept. And uh, I would love to, to explain this a bit more. So, um, I'll start with an example. I 
I have uh, read in many books and also heard from many teachers and, and seen even in practice in many companies, people praising uh, type five leaders as being calm, strategic, or, you know, even uh, uh, being patient when other people are getting anxious with something and all the things that are indeed, I know, um, some, uh, you know, functionally things that are good and that help others. However, I really don't like to call them strengths because they come from ego, meaning that the five is not developed when the five is doing that. It's, it's a function of personality. And while it can be good most of the times for people the five works with, if we take the perspective of the Enneagram as a self-development tool or system, um, then it's not something we should call good. Um, and what is really, really good is a five who does inner work and unveils new forms of leadership, things that uh, exist only in fives who develop. Um, so it's not that the five necessarily needs to fight against uh, those qualities of personality, but there needs to be an understanding that they are not blessings, and even more so, they are not superpowers. I don't know, I, I, I'll be very honest, I really hate this new trend of people talking about superpowers for different reasons. I think that inner work invites for humility and superpowers not humble at all. And also because most of the times when people say superpower, um, they are talking about something that is actually a limitation for, for that type in personality. So I think that confuses a lot of uh, people. And uh, as a result, they, they end up thinking that there isn't much inner work to do, you know, to become a better leader. Yeah, I, I always talk about how the Enneagram types describe how we overuse specific strengths, things that might be called strengths. But you're right. It's important to say this is strengths from the ego point of view. In a way, it might be better to say ways of being functional, you know, because the personality is functional. It, oper it allows us to operate in the world and survive childhood and get along. And uh, it does allow us to get to a certain place. And I think we need to recognize that there are a lot of leaders around today who uh, have attained, let's say, a high level of success or a high level position that are very much in their ego. Um, so what I like to tell leaders when I work with them is I always quote the title of uh, that book uh, by, there's a leadership coach who wrote a book called what got you here won't get you there uh, because it's important to recognize while our ego is functional and it does certain things well by functional standards, it also limits us. And the very fact of us having what we might call strengths or superpowers um, actually 
ends up trapping us at a lower level of self-awareness and a lower level of competence because we just kind of keep overdoing those same strengths over and over again. And we don't develop a wider range of abilities, of capacities. Uh, And we also get attached in ways we don't see to the ego itself, right? Like you're saying, if there's a five leader who gets praised for being calm and steady, there's a way that that person doubles down on those ways of being and says, okay, this is what I'm valued for. So I'm going to keep doing that. Uh, Not recognizing that that very calm is also connected to disconnecting from emotions or not being able to engage fully enough in what might be happening uh, in different ways. And so I think, you know, we're taking the view here that we're going to be looking at the nine types in terms of, you know, what they tend to be good at in a functional way, but what the ways they can really be great leaders uh, when they self-develop, uh, be, when they go beyond the merely functional uh, sort of being able to survive in the world and in some cases do well uh, when it comes to the world of interacting with other egos. Uh, but what it what real leadership requires, I believe, is a kind of going beyond uh, the basic level of functional capability uh, to develop latent powers to develop uh, a wider range of strengths and strategies. And when, and like you said, for each of the nine types, there's a particular growth path that leads to becoming a better person, a, a more um, fulfilled person, as well as uh, a better leader. Yeah, you know, B, I think that uh, we all need to be about awareness right now in our planet. And if you use or work with the Enneagram, that's even more imperative. Uh, If we use the Enneagram to say, look, don't mind that you're still not evolved uh, because there are some uh, strengths that come from that, then we are not not doing a favor to anyone. Um, And um, also... You know, I I think there is an an understanding when we talk about conscious leadership, uh, an understanding that is much needed uh, about how how leaders become leaders. And in a collective movement, what really happens is when there is not anyone coming from a slightly higher level of awareness around, the leader will be someone with a lower level of awareness than average in that group of people. But when there is someone coming from a higher level of awareness, the group sort of wants to have a more aware leader uh, to guide them. You know, I won't go into details, but it comes from the uh, Enneagram's law of one, as we call it, um, everything wants to get back to essence. And for that, we connect to a higher level of awareness when available. And we don't even know we're doing that. It's just magnetic. And uh, so if we help leaders be more aware, the kind of leadership that will be created is a virtuous cycle, not a vicious cycle. 
I'm not sure if um, it's clear enough what you said around what hap- how does it happen that a group gets a leader at a lower level of awareness and and you know I, again I think that probably happens a lot but but I didn't you know, I, I think it might you might want to clarify how does that happen you know that yeah. people end up with a leader and I think you're right that can cause actually a, quite a lot of damage right when yeah. uh, there's a leader with a low level of awareness and again because of what we just said around the ego and the personality having functional strengths or even appealing to certain people in certain ways you know like people will admire people someone who looks powerful even if that person is kind of a tyrant um, so can you say a little more about how low people with low levels of awareness can actually get into positions of leadership and sometimes even stay there? Right. Yeah. It's a bit like this. Um, either uh, we are under the influence of an evolving force or sometimes called the evolving pole, and we're being pulled up uh, by those forces or we are under the influence of the influence of the devolving pole, and we are being uh, pulled down and getting worse. The only thing that really doesn't exist is to be still stuck and not being influenced by anything. So we are not alone in the universe. There are, you know, multiple connections, and um, we need to develop the discernment of going being in 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 a upwards movement or a downwards movement now collectively that means that if the individuals and the organization itself is devolving there's no other way though they will select more and more leaders that will help the teams go down and they are unavoidably the ones with lower levels of awareness than average and and there is the other case thank god it's like uh, when there is there are there are uh, open possibilities for an organization or a team to rise up and and you know achieve higher levels of uh, awareness um then you know, leaders that are more aware and who will inspire others, including to do inner work, then that will happen. But, you know, because the collective level of awareness in the world today is not exactly high, uh, what happens is that many times leaders have lower level of awareness than average. I remember having seen a research some time ago that talked about the the jobs and positions where it was more common to find psychopaths. And they did a big research. And number one was CEOs, followed by spiritual leaders uh, and then lawyers. Wow. So I think that tells us something. You know, uh, unfortunately, we have been allowing ourselves to be led by lower levels of awareness, um, which has the function of trying to push us down in our own levels. 
right? But there is another way. And when using the Enneagram, we are here to find other ways, always. And the other way is building awareness for leaders to be the best they can be, which is not being in personality. It's trying to rise above it, beyond it, and getting more in touch with essence and, and the higher aspects. We had here on our podcast explanations of the passions and also explanations of the virtues. So helping people go a little closer to the virtues from passion to the virtue um, helps them be leaders of a new era. So people at a low level of awareness will find things that are attractive about a leader who's at a low level of awareness. They'll be drawn to that person in some ways. Um, But what we really need is leaders who are on a growth path, leaders who are, who are developing themselves so that they can be more and more conscious uh, and rise above that ego level. And, and I mean, One of the things I always think about is how Dante defines being in ego, basically, uh, in the Divine Comedy, which I love because every everything about it really still proves true today. Which is people who are in ego, it's essentially at a certain level, it's all about them. they, They can't really do things for the greater good, even when they might think they are they probably aren't, they aren't because they are still in ego. And so the ego is tricky and it can think, you know, like a two who thinks I'm doing things for the greater good, but doesn't see they're giving to get. Uh, And every type has a version of that where they can blind themselves to what they're really doing. Now, one of the things I want to emphasize is um, one book I really like about uh, business is the book Good to Great. It's kind of a classic. It's by Jim Collins. And one of the things I like about it is he he looks at, they do research on what makes some companies really great. And they compared companies that did really, really well to companies that were good, but not great, right? They just either went down at some point and didn't really get to the level of being great. And of course they have measures of what good and great is and, or some companies that were just good, but never really uh, got beyond a certain level. And what, you know, of course there are many findings, but the finding that was really central to the whole thing was that really great companies. And here we're we're talking about business, but I want to emphasize that this, this, I think applies to everything in our world today. It applies to politics. It applies to being a leader in your family or your community uh, or um, in different things that you might do in life, uh, in spiritual work, whatever it might be. Um, A true, really powerful, really effective leader is someone who is humble, uh, someone who has humility Um, and, you know, Humility is the first terrace in Dante's Purgatory in the Divine Comedy because it's like all of us need to develop humility because it's almost like the humility is defined as not seeing yourself as the center of the universe, 
um, as getting sort of being able to notice when you're in ego and switch out of that mode uh, to to make it uh, about um, being of service or um, seeing yourself in your proper proportion in the world. You know, you're not unimportant, but you're not more important either. Uh, and so it's like owning what's good about you, but seeing yourself as a work in progress and uh, trying to, uh, you know, develop yourself and become more aware and conscious, both of yourself and of other people. Um, and so I really think that this, this, idea of humility is important also because I think another function of leaders in our society is being a model for other people. Whenever I work with teams in companies, I always say to the leader of the team, and by the way, you know, I'm usually brought in by the leader of the team, sometimes more than the HR people or the training and development people. Um, Usually it's a leader. I, I often think of them as enlightened leaders because they are thinking about how can we be better by supporting our people and growing. And they are usually on a growth path themselves. And I often say to them, look, people are going to be looking to you to model what self-development is all about. And so I always encourage them to uh, tell stories about their own personal development, you know, allow themselves to really humbly share about their own struggles and their own um, growth process. Uh, I know when I was at, at Stanford training and group facilitation, the leadership experts there at Stanford Business School um, would often say that a, one of the main characteristics of a great leader is someone who can selectively self-disclose vulnerability. And when you're humble, you're more capable of being in touch with your vulnerabilities and your vulnerable feelings and sharing those, you know, in a mindful way with other people because it helps people trust you. It helps people uh, find you more uh, available for connection And it also, more than anything else, I think makes it okay for other people to look at and explore their own vulnerabilities. And it normalizes being on a growth path and the value of that and the importance of that in terms of growing the community or the team uh, in ways that I think will ultimately really be the only way we come out of uh, some of the big problems we're stuck in today in the world, like political division, uh, people not understanding each other, um, you know, people getting on power trips and taking advantage of other people, people making some groups of people the other uh, and then demonizing them or uh, fearing them or blaming them for problems in, in society. So I think so much of, uh, the path out of the difficulties that we're facing in the world today, everything from healthcare crises to, uh, political division, to wars, to, um, you know, just how do we manage globalization in in a way that works for more peoples and more countries instead of, you know, creating more income inequality, all of these things, I think are tied to humble leadership. And when, 
and I think we're at this crucial moment in history, and I didn't expect to go on this long about this, but we're at this crucial moment where we really need to shift from a culture of self-interest to a culture of uh, we're all in this together. Uh, we all need to work together to solve our, our collective problems. Uh, we're, we need to be more than the sum of our parts. We need to empathize with others. We need to rise above, frankly, our baser instincts when it comes to the leaders we choose and the things that we stay unconscious to. Uh, and we all need to wake up. And I think we need leaders to help us wake up and to model what waking up looks like. Yeah, I love all you said, B. And um, yeah, indeed. And I, th I think we should just uh, know that the old paradigm on how to develop leadership perhaps is not the best one for the Enneagram. Uh, maybe in, you know, the I also like very much the, the uh, Jim Collins book, uh, Good to Great, and he wrote it 20 years ago. And, um, and I think that perhaps with time, we'll see that uh, there is another very crucial aspect for today's organizations in, in terms of how to be great, which is to um, trust on leaders that really um, help people grow in uh, um, consciousness not only in their careers. Uh, and I think that uh, we are here to help a little bit with that when working with the Enneagram. Yes, so, and I yeah. know we want to talk about the nine types uh, uh, right now. I just want yeah. to say a brief anecdote about uh, an experience I had yesterday. I was doing a, a call uh, with a team of about 12 people, and these are leaders in a in a a pharmacy company. And, um, I was introducing the types to them for the first time and they had all taken, um, uh, uh, an assessment. Uh, but I was talking about the nine types. And so I was talking about type eight. And of course this is on zoom and I'm talking and everyone is on, on the zoom, you know, we're all there on the screen. And as I'm talking about eight, <laughs> there is this one guy and he was just smiling and nodding and laughing. And I just immediately had this big feeling of affection and admiration for him because it turns out he's an eight. And just the way he talked about himself and the way he talked about identifying with and recognizing himself and all, it was so, there was a kind of lightness and humility uh, and humor about it that I thought, wow, this guy, this guy must be a really good leader because he was both saying, yes, that's totally me, uh, but also really um, doing it in a spirit of, you know, I really need to see this and be able to talk about it so that we can do the work we do better. And it turns out they have a lot of eights in their company and in their leadership team. And they asked a lot of questions about how do we work with this? And it was so wonderful to have it be a very positive discussion and very open about how do we understand our types in a way where we work together better and we do everything we do better, you know, accounting for like what we're talking about, sort of 
this, if we see this as a growth path and not just strengths and challenges, which I do sometimes think, talk in terms of at the very beginning with people, if we see it more as the growth path toward leadership. I think it really opens up a lot of potential for people. Yeah, yeah. I like also seeing people like uh, this guy. And uh, I just think that there are more and more people like him everywhere. And uh, we need to honor them and bring them to do any room work. So, yeah. So should we talk about the nine types now? Yes. So let's start with eight, as we often do with the body types. Mm -hmm. uh, what would what can you say about you know eights as leaders, especially from the point of view of you know what they can be like in ego and how they can grow? Right. So my experience with eights is that many times they are in leadership positions, especially in in the past. They used to be a lot in leadership positions. It's not that they aren't right now. They still are. But uh, it was perhaps a little bit more common in the past. And um, this is because the old models of what uh, we assumed uh, being a leader meant had to do with being in control, with um, telling people what to do and uh, being in charge always. And um, it's not exactly this that we take as uh, modern leadership, but eights are good on that. And that's a personality, uh, a consequence of personality. Eights are easily assertive, and they take the lead. Actually, what happens is that they, they get impatient when someone else is not um, occupying the spaces. And when there is a power vacuum, uh, they go there and they fuel it in. Um, and I think that um, it's also fair to say that um, AIDS um, try to be very just and fair, and they, they are very um, good in making things happen, in delivering. Um, but this, these are all qualities that are easy for AIDS to have. They are natural. Um, they come from what I sometimes call factory settings. <laughs> but um, uh, they also have factory settings that are not as favorable for what companies and, and teams look for and that is impatience or you know they're not very good to listen to people and they aren't very um, attuned to details that are happening they stay much more seeing the big picture although you know subtypes sometimes change that but um, still they they tend to be more strategic and they have a, a fast pace, so it's not always that they stop and see with more attention risks or other details that are important. Um, I, I guess you could add uh, to this, B, and then we talk about the higher aspects on eights grow. Yes, I think I think of eights um, when we look at them as leaders, uh, when they're at a lower level of awareness versus a higher level of awareness. I think of it as terms in terms of brute force at the lower level and true power at the higher level. 
And I think in personality, yes, I think eights look a lot like what we call a, a good leader. And in many ways they are, but again, they're functional leaders. Like you said, the factory settings, are, they have genuine strengths. Uh, eights don't always need to be the leader, but they can be intolerant of an incompetent leader uh, and, you know, which might be a good thing sometimes too, uh, and can move into power vacuums, as you said. Um, but I think it ends up there. They end up being limited to the point that they aren't in touch with their own vulnerability. And so can't connect to others from a deeper place, a more emotional place, uh, a place of shared humanity uh, where we all at some level have uh, weaknesses. Now, I think when eights grow, when they're on a growth path, they become truly powerful in that they integrate their own deeper feelings and sensitivities uh, and become truly powerful because they're blending their strength and their power and they become even more powerful by also uh, including and blending that with, uh, you know, different kinds of vulnerable feelings in themselves so that they can be more empathetic with people. They can relate to a wider range of people. Uh, and they really have both sides of it. Then they have the strength, they have the ability to kind of step out in front and speak in a way that, that people that gets people's attention, uh, but then they can come from a deeper place of having a kind of sensitivity for uh, sort of the harder parts of human experience, and uh, they need to do that through the lens of their own inner experience of weakness and vulnerability, as opposed to denying it the way eights in personality typically do. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. These are are very good points about eights and. When it's truly grow, when they truly do the inner work, in, for instance, in the models that we've been talking about here in other episodes of our podcast, then what happens is that they become harmless because they are more fully in touch with their hearts. And when they become vulnerable themselves, they respect other people's vulnerability not only what is more evident, but also they start feeling things that are more subtle, which is not the forte for AIDS when in personality, they don't see subtleties, right? And uh, it's so beautiful to see uh, an eight leader getting to that point because there is still the energy of let's go do, but there is such a respect for people. But more than respect it's it's really compassion um again talking about some old formulas uh, like old leadership formulas there are also uh, old formulas on how to give people feedback and i, I think they're fine I, I actually still use them in a few moments but they don't really say the most important thing which is feedback without love is always aggression always even if you're not saying what your aggression is it is aggression um so aids get more in touch with love 
and uh, a true care of other people, not just to protect them, because that comes from personality. They get more in touch with compassion. And then they can say anything that they want. They can stay being assertive that people will just feel that they come from a, a better place. Hi, if you're enjoying the depth of knowledge offered in this podcast, you might want to stay in touch with us. B and Wudanyu offer professional Enneagram training, personal development courses, self-guided online courses, and they even have a membership platform with over 100 hours of content. Head to cpenneagram.com slash podcast to learn more. So type nine, what would you say about type nines as leaders? Well, in personality, nines are really good in uniting people and bringing them together and allowing for a better harmonious uh, work setting, uh, listening to all people's opinions. And that's very easy. And also to allow other people to feel empowered most of the times, not always, because sometimes nines can also go and do things uh, themselves, uh, being body types. But uh, it's great. And there are some some things that people usually complain about nines. One is it's hard for them to follow the rules of meritocracy, uh, meaning that they equalize people. And if there is one performing better than others, you know, that doesn't show sometimes with nines. Nines try to please everybody and, and, and trying to make everything happy you know, sometimes people get unhappy. Um, and some other problems that have to do also with not confronting people and not getting in touch with problems. Um, but this all comes from ego. Doesn't matter if uh, resulting in a good or bad thing for the company. So what would you add to this? I would say that at the level of personality or at a lower level of awareness, nines um, in leadership positions can create problems by being indecisive, uh, trying to lead by consensus all the time, not putting their own views and their own opinions in the picture enough, kind of taking more of the role of mediator to avoid conflict instead of really being more proactive and, and bold in expressing what they really think and, and finding ways to make decisions collectively in order to move things forward. Um, but of course, you know, they often get drafted into leadership positions because they tend to be humble by nature and not egocentric, you know, the other side of that. And again, we see how a strength, you know, which can be seen as a strength in terms of being uh, someone who really does support people in a deep way and does put others first to an extent, um, how this can not always be a good thing uh, unless it's blended with something that's coming more from a higher level. Um, and so I think nines, when they mix their kind of natural humility uh, a natural desire to support others, hear others, listen fully to everyone uh, with a stronger sense of themselves, 
when they develop their ability to contact healthy anger and the power that's connected to anger, when they become better at, at speaking out and putting their voice in the mix, they blend a kind of natural humility uh, with a kind of caring about the world and ability to express themselves which I think makes them really, really excellent leaders. But again, you start to see where it's it's blending in these higher side qualities that that are more difficult for nines to achieve. But when they do it consciously, when they're on a, a, a mindful growth path, they can really be some of the best leaders out there. Yeah, true, true. I just... Um at times fear that uh, when nines mistake what is self-forgetting for humility. And sometimes we, um, we tell them actually that it's good to be even a little more selfish as a, as a way to shock them, but uh, it's not really being selfish. It's, it's thinking of them a bit more and, you know, uh, taking care of their own careers and saying what they do, that sometimes is good for, for nines. But the main thing, when they grow, they become the most energized of all types, very different from before. And they move things forward with a lot of strength. And they don't need to just demand that people do anything. They, they, they drag them along with their moon, their own movement. Uh, it's unstoppable for themselves and for others. And uh, that is a nine in right action. It's really just doing what is needed and what had not been done up to then. So being the ones um, making the revolution, uh, nines become very influential at this moment. Yes, I, I really like all you said, especially that self-forgetting and humility aren't the same things, that nines need to really tell the difference and uh, not mistake uh, leaving themselves out of the picture for humble leadership. So what about type ones? Well, to me, <clears throat> ones in personality have both things that help and that don't help the context, the other people in the company. Some things that help are a, a big commitment to quality and to improvement, uh, continuous improvement, uh, a commitment to ethics most of the times, although I don't think that ethics uh, are always present for any of the nine types. I think it's, it's a function of something else most of the times, actually. But um, ones tend to be more like that. And, um, and also, they, they are really clear in what they want. Uh, they don't have that bad quality of some leaders that people don't really understand what they want, right? And right. Uh, on, on the downside, I could mention that people feel criticized and that uh, they try to improve what's already very good. And sometimes agility is more important than um, perfection, uh, but they not always know that. And also ones can um, be extremely detail-oriented 
to a point of micromanaging, which is not exactly a good quality for leaders. Yes. Yeah, so I'm, I'm starting to see a theme here, which is with each type, it becomes a kind of balancing out, a kind of mixing of some of the what we might call the functional positive factory settings, mixing that with sort of more high side qualities that in some ways oppose uh, these what we what we might call strengths or functional qualities, but balance them out more. So for ones, I'm seeing it, it's it's like it's good to be quality oriented. It's good to be improvement oriented. It's good to create structure and processes that help people uh, implement their ideas and create action plans that that create a good outcome. Um, but when ones can loosen up the rigidity they sometimes have around some of the rules and routines and processes when they can be light and more humorous and uh, get more in touch with their own emotions and impulses and connect with people more. That's when they become really effective leaders. And I, I really love ones on a self-development path who've done work on themselves because they're often very funny and really light and, and both serious and responsible and dedicated to making the world a better place, but not like whipping themselves or being overly critical of themselves or others to get there. Right. And it's brilliant to see ones who truly evolve, how they become accepting of others and of self and bring lightness and, and true harmony to the workplace. Um, people feel understood and listened to and very respected. And at the same time, we have fun together with work. So this is what happens when ones truly transform. Yes. So let's talk about twos. Um, how do you see twos as leaders? Well, in my experience, uh, type two leaders um, coming from personality, they have some qualities that help organizations and teams. And they are, they are usually very humane and very interested in how to help others and how people are feeling and how they can help them cope more with different things. Uh, also, there is a way that choose can be very, very inspiring. Um, and um, in a way, they are not individualistic and they, they look at others, uh, which not all leaders do, as we know. On the other hand, you know, there are lots of things happening um, in a hidden way, uh, sometimes manipulation and small talks and alliances are being built. Um, and that is not as nice in my view, in most cases. I mean, people don't like that as much. And many times people say that type two leaders are selective, meaning that they praise some people more than others and and i can talk about the higher aspects later but what would you add uh, or agree or disagree with yes I, I think twos become most effective as leaders and most inspiring 
when they combine their natural focus on relationships and empowering people and meeting the needs of clients and understanding how to empower people and bring out the best in them, when they, when they combine that with a more mindful self-awareness, I think for twos, it's a lot about learning to, at first, sort of value yourself to the point where you can be more humble. And again, humility is the, the, the virtue or the higher side quality of type two. When twos can be more humble, in other words, not seeing themselves as the center of what's happening as the hub of the group or the person who people go to to talk about problems or get needs met. When twos can almost lead a little bit from a place of being a good follower, uh, of being very aware of their own limitations and how not everything to do is theirs to do uh, and how they need to be looking at their own needs and their own feelings and putting those into the picture also being more direct with people, mixing true empathy with a kind of ability to call out what's not working or have a conflict if necessary, and be really open to other people's points of view as well as offer their own so that they don't get into the, the sort of darker side of two leadership, which can be a kind of of control or manipulation while at the same time denying that there's control and manipulation. I think when twos can rise to a level of humility where they, where they can see uh, sort of the bigger picture, they naturally kind of let go of, uh, you know, helping others to get something back uh, or trying to make themselves so important in the middle of the group uh, they naturally kind of see everyone in their own strengths uh, and also in their own proper proportion. And they contribute what they do well, but they can also let people go on their way when the, it's the right time to do that. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Um, I think that in short, what Jew leaders look like when they truly grow and encompass the virtue of humility is like they become invisible. Uh, I believe that for high-performing teams and uh, for the best leaders for these uh, high-performing teams, what we see is that the leaders don't do much. They are just behind the scenes and trying to be as much unnecessary as possible and uh, not creating dependency on anyone. I would add one more thing to that. And that is, I think, especially in companies, I think it's becoming more okay to be humans who have emotions. And I think twos at their best can be very understanding of other people's emotions such that they can support people having their emotions, understanding their emotions, and then moving beyond their emotions in a way that helps with um, harmony between people, which I think is something that's really um, that twos bring that is a value. Yeah, I agree with that also. So what about type three? How would you see threes as leaders in the ways we've been talking about? 
Yeah, the, the easy things for threes, no matter if they are good, seen as good or bad, the easy things for them as leaders are uh, working hard and setting goals and uh, making sure that everybody is positively heading towards the them, um, the goals. Uh, also being positively ambitious and in a way committed to results. You know, many organizations say today that they want a competency of uh, focus on results in their employees. And threes are natural uh, in that. Um, and at the same time, sometimes threes can be seen as individualistic. Um, they can also be seen as impatient or, or uh, excessively competitive, um, ambitious. It depends a bit on um, subtype, uh, what will be seen as a, a bigger problem. But in general, threes have these kind of issues. And in a minute, I'll comment on uh, what happens when threes truly grow towards the virtue. But what would you add? I think the growth process for a three leader goes from recognizing the way they can identify with an image of success or good leadership and live through that image in a way that isn't really true to who they really are. But it can be hard to let go of that because there's a way that they come to believe that their good leadership comes through their ability to perform or their ability to have a good image. When where, when what really creates a good leader is the ability to be in touch with your own feelings, what's important to you. So when threes can balance you know, their natural competence with being more in touch with who they really are and their deeper motives and emotions and what's important to them, that's when they become truly powerful. Right, right. Yeah, I just see B that uh, some threes who achieve a truly higher um, state of being that the Likewise, for uh, twos, they become a bit more transparent. They they become less central, and and they empower others a lot. They delegate fully, and they are quieter, more patient, and they inspire people with their hearts. They inspire people with a lot of feeling. And in case you as as you listen to us, don't get uh, how a three can be like that, well, this is the fact of deeper inner work. And we do see some threes that get there and become as amazing as this description. So fours, how would you describe type fours as leaders? Usually very creative, innovative, uh, very demanding. Um, because they don't accept anything ordinary. Uh, and depending on subtype and instinctual sequence, they can be people who develop others a lot, but not in, a, in an easy way, because they always tell people that what they have done is not enough and that they need to come up with something of a, that is different and with a higher quality. Although some other fours with a different subtype 
don't are not as uh, as much like that, but that happens a lot. Uh, and another thing is force. At on the other hand, can be a bit uh, dramatic, and people don't know what is the mood of the moment, so they step on eggshells to get to them as leaders. And also, people who are not emotional can find it really hard to deal with the amount of expression and and the sudden changes that force might have and might expect from you. I think it's true that you don't often see fours in leadership positions in sort of mainstream corporate America, for instance. Um, I think part of that is this cultural idea of what a leader is, and part of it is um, fours liking to have more ability to express themselves. Part of it is the fact that fours are so in touch with emotion and up until recently, I think it, there was an idea that you don't express your emotions at work. Uh, but I think all that's changing. And uh, I think one of the good aspects of the evolution that I think is taking place all over the world and also in corporate, uh, in Western corporations right now is this sense of actually when you allow yourself to connect a little more deeply with the people that you work with or the people that you're in community with, uh, you develop better relationships and everything flows from there when there's a deeper connection, more mutual understanding, and when feelings are kind of allowed to be there and be acknowledged. So I think fours are really good at seeing what's going on under the surface and having the courage to kind of bring up uh, things that people aren't seeing, uh, elements of the conversation that may be missing. And so I think fours become great leaders when they can mix their ability and to be in touch with their emotional depths and uh, what's going on at a deeper level with their ability to also see themselves in the proper proportion, a little bit like with twos. Uh, when they can be models of emotional intelligence that can both express deep emotions, but also moderate uh, emotional expression at times and uh, work together to bring forth a creative vision, but also be, be flexible in what that ends up looking like. So I think it's, again, a blend of uh, emotional intuition and depth and intelligence uh, with a ability to really give to others, to connect with others, to see all people as equally contributing to the good outcome of whatever's happening. Yeah. And when force truly grow, then they are the calmest of all. And they are leaders that are very stable. They are also more heady and less emotional and they spread calmness all around and trust and self-confidence and confidence in others and the work environment becomes um, very light and at the same time working with a four like that becomes easy and simple but only only for fours who really do good inner work and get there so what about type fives? You said a little bit at the outset, but what else can you say about type fives as leaders? 
usually fives are very good in planning, analysis, and seeing what others aren't. Um, they are also very good in anticipating situations, but not with the six bias of seeing more than negatives. So five leaders can also be very understanding um, and flexible, but also interested in learning and allow everybody to learn. But on the other hand, they, they have this hard time just reacting to what is needed at the moment, like surprises. And they like to control their time and space. And they do that many times by putting limits to what people should come tell them and, and also let them know that they need at the moment. So they avoid other people's requests. I think five leaders can really develop their leadership potential and capacity when they step outside of themselves more. Um, I'm going to tell a, a brief anecdote. That is, I once worked with a leader, and actually this uh, this is in, I think this is in the nine types of leadership. He was a five, and he, he, say, he told a story to his team. He said, you know, just like every morning when I wake up, I don't really feel like going and working out, but I do it because I know it's good for me. It's good for my health. It, it's good for making me feel good and being more in my body. And he said, similarly, I don't always want to come out of my office and go talk to people. <laughs> I'd rather stay in my office and work alone. That's just my comfort zone. But he said, I've learned that I really need to get out of my office and go talk to people and connect with people and find out what they're doing. And that really makes me a better person and a better leader. And it helps me really understand what's going on. And I thought that was a great example of, again, it's always a blend of, you know, not needing to kind of get rid of what you're already doing well, but add to that in a way that balances out your personality tendencies and helps you expand much beyond them. Uh, and for fives, I think this means uh, being both uh, you know, experts and, and knowledgeable and wise. And well, it, I think it's about becoming truly wise by connecting sort of content knowledge with an ability to be with people in deeper ways and to open up to more connection and to collaborate more with others uh, and to share themselves more with others. And I think when they can do that again, it, it, it becomes a very potent blend of, of both what they tend to already be good at and what they become really good at once they expand beyond uh, their typical ego focus. Yeah, and they become more intense in general. And also they share their opinions with more passion and sometimes confronting in a way that's needed, that's necessary, and not to push people away. So you can see fives also being very active and pushing the agenda for more and more and not only for less, which is the personality tendency. Yes, exactly. Pushing up against people, not being afraid to express more power in, in different kinds of ways. 
So what about sixes? What can you say about type six leaders? Well, um, all type six leaders, when, when, even when they're not developed, um, they have talents that are usually related to seeing what others don't see and mapping out risks and coming up with very interesting questions that solve potential problems. And they are problem solvers in practice um, most of the time. Uh, they are also quite interested in going into nuances of, of things and they try to be transparent. Now, on the other hand, there are usual complaints about sixes in terms of anxiety and making others anxious, of not being not very easy to trust people, including sometimes people of their own teams, and um, perhaps some hard time staying in their authority position and um, just uh, using it in, in a way that is strong. Uh, but what do you think? I, I, I think sixes are a little bit like nines in that they tend to be self-deprecating or they appear humble when they're in personality. However, just like you said, nines need to discern between self-forgetting and humility. Uh, sixes can not own their own strengths. Uh, they can get caught up in fear and doubt and mistrust and not step into their own authority, their own power, uh, because of both fear and the ways that their personality drives them in coping with fear. So I think, I think sixes can be amazing leaders. And I think it's actually really good for sixes as part of their growth path to see themselves as leaders, uh, because they tend to have a lot of empathy for people who need good leadership, uh, for people who are underdogs in the world. And I think they tend to come from the right place in terms of really wanting to solve for problems with, for people, really wanting to uh, mitigate threats and, and problems out there in the world. And so I think when they're on the growth path of owning their own power, owning their strength, um, and, and moderating the ways that they get driven by fear or anxiety uh, and finding their own voice and their own power, they make really excellent leaders because, again, it's this blend of a natural kind of empathy for people, a natural ability to solve problems in, their, in, in ways that serve the most people, uh, but also ways that express strength and um, power of the right kinds. It's like being a good authority. And I think sixes themselves have big authority issues. They have issues with leadership. They can mistrust leaders because of the fear around how will you exercise your power. Uh, but when they can be the leader they want to have, it's like be the change you want to see. Uh, I think they can be really effective leaders and really good role models for people who are both trying to sort of work against the, being driven by their own fears and step into their own authority for good purposes. Yeah, and when there's true growth, sixes become really calm and 
confident in leading. And people feel that. And they feel inspired by strength and faith without any anxiety. Inspired by just trust in the future and the courage of carrying on regardless of how much predictability they have. I want to give a really quick example. The other day I did a typing interview with a lovely woman who ended up being a self-preservation six. And one of the interesting things that came out in the interview is that she had been a leader uh, for quite a while in spiritual groups, in the community, uh, and in uh, leading organizations that were doing good work in the community. And at first, you know, I, uh, you know, I, you know, I had my doubt of like, well, is, she's been in a lot of leadership positions. Is this something that's typical of a self-preservation six? But actually it was. And you could really see how she had naturally been on a developmental path. I mean, in some ways, very, in, very intentionally, uh, because she had been involved in spiritual work um, for a long time. But I, I was really able to reflect back to her how the way she had occupied leadership positions actually, to me, uh, confirmed the fact that she was a self-preservation six. Uh, the, the motives that she had uh, that were actually really healthy and good for not only her, but also the people uh, that she was helping through those organizations. Very so, interesting. Yeah. So what about type seven? What would you say about sevens in leadership? Well, usually sevens as leaders are very egalitarian. They listen to people uh, very well. Like today, I worked with one seven leader, actually, and uh, they, <laughs> they have a nickname for their department at the company, and that is society. Like... Um, they they see everybody as partners and uh, everybody's equal in that society and no hierarchical um, um, no emphasis in the hierarchy and also sevens try to be light and you know bring a lot of ideas and inspire people but not always challenging people as needed they can avoid situations that are not the nicest, like giving necessary constructive but hard feedback, uh, also talking about issues that are happening in a, in a very straightforward way. Um, and sevens can find it difficult to just do what um, they need to do when it gets boring or when the plans are not exciting or when they just need to carry on doing more of what's going well because they have this tendency to change. But then they grow and they, they become other kinds of leaders too. But what would you add to this, B? So when I think, I think when sevens can blend uh, the natural tendency, as you said, to be positive and be visionaries and great at generating good ideas, new ideas with the people that they are in community with or working with. If when they blend that those qualities with a greater ability to really 
go deeper into the moment, to stick with what's happening, to focus more, sometimes on what's not working, uh, sometimes on what's uncomfortable or the difficult conversation that needs to be had. Uh, when they can face what's what needs to be fixed from a point of view of looking at the negatives and not just the positives, I think they can be great leaders. I have worked in uh, companies where the teams really suffered when a seven leader had their head too much in the clouds, you know, when they were generating a lot of ideas, but not bringing those ideas down to earth in practical ways, Um, sort of coming up with a lot of, you know, visions of what to do that weren't really achievable, but they were a little bit more uh, too idealistic or not pragmatic enough or not thought through. Um, I think that can create problems, but when they are conscious enough of themselves to own that those tendencies and to moderate them in intentional ways of working with others more, listening fully to feedback from others, uh, being able to you know, consciously narrow the options to deal with limitations from the outside uh, and balance the that the tendency to want to you know experience the best and create something that's really creative and innovative with a kind of ability to say, okay, how can we do this in the way that really works and is really grounded? Then I think they can be you know excellent, very inspiring leaders. Right. And when sevens grow further and develop psycho-spiritually using the Enneagram or not, they become really focused and really committed to doing the things that that matter to the end and not opening up as many doors and windows and alternatives. And they stop escaping to better possibilities and um, they don't avoid confronting problems anymore. And yet they keep being positive. They don't get negative because they are in the present moment and they, they inspire people by feeling peaceful in the inside by just doing what's in there for them to do and not just creating... Uh, alternative future possibilities. They are more in the present, not the future. Yes, I think I think these are all really good points. And it's almost like healthy sevens go beyond negative and positive to just be really open to what life brings. So I'm really glad we've talked about leadership today in light of the Enneagram because as we've said, more more than ever, we really, really need good leadership. And I think it's great if people see the Enneagram as something that can really help us uh, see self-development as a crucial component of good leadership. Yes. Thank you for your opinions. They were great. It's time for our top five. What is our top five today, B? Our top five today is the top five types that have the hardest time asking for help. Oh, good. Okay. I just, I just thought it would be good to, to do one that gave you an opportunity to put me at number one. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, pride is so tricky because <laughs> even if being number one is not the best idea, then it's, you know, it feels good. <laughs> it's still all about me, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So what what's your number five? Uh, your number five hardest type to ask for help. Type that has the hardest time asking for help. Okay, so I'm sort of using your technique a bit more. So I have a draw between one and three. Um, mm. I think that these two types find it sort of difficult to ask for help for different reasons. Like ones might think that they know it better. And threes, you know, may just have this uh, addiction to being busy and doing things themselves and trusting that things will go better if they do them. So I see that. And at the same time, I see that ones and threes can still ask for help in different situations. So it's a draw on my number five. Wow. This, and the second time you've had you've had a draw I'm, I'm impressed that you're you've been influenced by my thinking uh, yeah. it doesn't happen very often i do think it's a little bit of cheating but okay yeah. <laughs> but you're doing it anyway yeah. okay all right <laughs> okay number my number five is also a draw it's my only draw on the top five but uh between um one and five and mm. Especially I was think I had in mind self-preservation one. Um, but I think sometimes self-preservation ones, it's it's I've heard them say a lot like no one can do it better than I can. So it's a little bit like that for them, a little bit slightly different spin on not asking for help. And I think with fives, you know, they they're so much more comfortable being independent and so they often just will do it themselves and don't ask for support or help. Um, oh. so that, that's, that's my thinking. Oh, good. Interesting. What is your fourth? So my fourth is self-preservation three. Um, and it could go for all threes, but I think especially self-preservation threes, they, you know, they're the hardest worker on the Enneagram and they have a hard time being vulnerable. And there is a way that I think it's really hard for them to not do everything themselves to ask for help. Um, and and so that was my number four. What about you? Type eight. Um, I think that um, many times they uh, just go do things themselves and don't wait. And they have a lot of energy. I know eights that get really overwhelmed with things they're doing, but they they'd rather keep doing those themselves instead of. Uh, coping with people not being so fast in delivering things as they are. Um, anyway, I also see AIDS, you know, telling people what they want and need and asking them to do stuff. Uh, although at times when AIDS are not in their best, they may sort of demand that people do something, not really ask. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I see that. And you, uh, number three, your number three. My number three is self-preservation four. Um, because I think self-preservation fours have this masochistic tendency. They sometimes don't always see in themselves at first. But uh, there is this sense of 
you know, kind of going it on their own, doing it themselves, you know, not, not really asking for help much. Um, it's, it's like if they can make it harder on themselves, they do <laughs> not really intentionally, but just as a habit. Uh, what about you? What's your number three? I totally agree with that. Um, and if I had considered subtypes uh, on this top five, I would have included a self-press force, but um, I didn't. So I didn't include fours in general, but my third is fives. I think that possibly they, um, they find it uh, harder to ask for help than you said uh, in your number five. I think that though it's, it's a bit more for self-press fives. Um, as my self-press is repressed, I don't think this is too much of an issue, but I do see many, many fives that uh, in practice don't ask for help. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear you acknowledge that, <laughs> especially because you're always pointing out that I don't ask for help. So uh, so it's, it's, it's a characteristic we share, although I'm willing to admit that I'm worse at it than you are. Okay, <laughs> so my number two is eight. You had eight a little bit lower down. And part of this comes from doing typing interviews, because as you know, I do a lot of typing interviews with people. And one of my questions is it on my typing interview uh, script is, you know, how easy or hard is it for you to ask for help? Uh, and so part of what came into my mind as I was writing my top five was the people that end up saying, oh, that's really, really hard, or I can't do that. And eights tend to be one of those types. And I think, again, because asking for help, I think is a, can be, often is a vulnerable thing, even though, as I say it now, it doesn't seem like it should be that vulnerable, but actually it is. Like right now, you know that there's something I'm not asking you for help on. <laughs> for quite some time. For quite Your some new laptop <laughs> is just not being used. Yeah. I've had it for two months now, my new laptop, and I haven't used it yet because I think I need some help um, entering into the challenges of getting everything online. And I'm not, apparently I'm not asking for help and not using my new laptop. So, so yeah, so I think that gives us some insight into our, what will be at our top, uh, our number one spot. But <laughs> my number two, I just find eights uh, really would rather do it themselves. It's almost like they don't even think about it. They just kind of meet the challenge, do what needs to be done. Um, and, and asking for help can, can, can often be a, you know, a getting in touch with vulnerable feelings that motivates that. Um, but that they, um, they, so, so that holds them back from, from, you know, asking for support. Right. Yeah. My number two is nines. And, Here's a clarification. I I think I took the question, um, the types that find it that are the hardest to ask for help. I took it as hardest as being the least common, and not that it's hard to have the action of asking. Oh, so, so for me, nines. Uh, come in second because it doesn't occur to them a little bit like you said for eights um, 
you know, they are always focused on the other, not on themselves. What I see is that when someone suggests that they ask for help or when they realize at times that they need that, then it's not that difficult to ask for help, although sometimes they forget it right after. But um, in general, I think that nines, it makes sense that um, just say that they are on my top five list and they are on the second position. Hmm. But I'm wondering what is your first? So Say I, it out I, loud. <laughs> I did put, put type two at uh, the first position on my list. Mm-hmm. And okay. what's on what's number one on your list? <laughs> well, choose. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's um, yeah, they're they're pretty much known for that. Um, it's the type that finds it the hardest to ask for help because of the passion of pride, the the vice of believing that other people need uh, help, but I don't. And I have the means to help you and you don't. So it's sort of uncommon to see choose finding it easy, although it's very, very beautiful to see choose when they manage to ask, because that is a gateway into the virtue of humility. So will you help me set up my new laptop? Oh my God, yes, I've been <laughs> waiting for that. I could, you know, I could, I could have offered my help, but I know that I'm in your life to help you with your inner work. So I was <laughs> waiting for that. Uh, I know that's the funny thing, especially as self-pressed twos, we kind of act like we need help, hoping someone will notice yeah. and help us without actually saying the words. And so yeah. it's really important to say the words. Yeah. Now, I do want to say with respect to what you said about pride and why twos have a hard time asking for help, I do need to emphasize that for many twos, that that's very unconscious. Um, and of course, pride is very hard to see because it's very tricky and it's sort of synonymous with quote unquote, feeling good about yourself. Um, but there is a way that, um, that yes, twos, it's like, it's, it's the way I sometimes frame it is it's like being so comfortable in the role of being there for others and, and being there to meet others needs and help others. And again, as a as a way of having a, uh, an important function in people's lives, almost as a way of having some power. Uh, because if you, if you need my help, then you kind of need to include me. You need to maybe, you know, you know, take care of me or like me or make me feel good about, about you. (laughs) And so there's a way that at a unconscious level, I think it's a, it's a comfort, it's a, power position. It's a way of being important, uh, of meeting others' needs, but not needing anything. Um, So of course, it's important for twos to get in touch with the fact of how difficult it is to ask for help and to realize that that is part of the passion of pride. Um, But that can often, you know, again, there's even something that seems sort of, you know, for twos, it seems sort of strange, like, well, you know, of course, I, you know, it doesn't seem that hard to ask for help. But then when we go and try to do it, it actually can be quite challenging. Yeah, 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 totally. And good explanations. Thank you. Thank you for listening and join us again for our Enneagram 2.0 podcast, where we talk about all things Enneagram.